Welcome to Season 2 of Saints, Sinners, and Serial Killers with co-hosts, New York Times best-selling authors and renowned investigative journalists, Casey Sherman and Dave Wedge. In this episode, part one of Crate Boys, Dave and Casey tell the story of how one of hip-hop's founding fathers, Africa Bambata, built a rap empire that changed the world and gave him godlike status, which alleged victims say he wielded to groom young boys for sex all with the protection of his powerful legion of followers in the Zulu nation. The story of Bambata, drawn from Dave's groundbreaking work on the case for Vice, is littered with corruption, sexual abuse, exploitation, violence, and even murder. This episode contains graphic and vulgar language that may be disturbing. And now, Casey Sherman and Dave Wedge. It's a scorching summer day in 2016, and I'm standing in Poor Richard's Playground at 109th Street and 3rd Avenue in East Harlem. Poppers, lockers, and breakdancers are battling on the tarmac to the funky old-school b-boy beats of DJ Jazzy J, a groundbreaking turntablist who released the first-ever record on Rick Rubin's Def Jam Records. The late Biz Marquis is standing by the decks dressed in a daishiki shirt, bobbing his head to a dusty groove by 60s New Orleans funk group The Meters. I approach and chit-chat with Biz about the golden era of hip-hop, and I can't restrain myself from taking a selfie with the rap icon. Young men play handball on a nearby court, some ride BMX bikes, and old men sit in lawn chairs soaking in the scene, some drinking from coffee cups that definitely don't contain coffee. Several older men hanging out are dressed in biker leather vests, adorned with the logo of the Black Spades, a gang that's one of the last vestiges of the 60s and 70s biker culture in the Bronx. One of the Black Spades approaches me and sizes me up. I'm wearing jeans, shell-toe Adidas sneakers, a polo shirt, and sunglasses. You 5 he asks, taking me for an undercover cop. I'm somewhat relieved he thinks I'm a cop, but I also don't want to tell him that I'm a journalist there to report on the Africa Bambata molestation scandal. Nah, just meeting someone, I say. Nah, you're 5-0, he says with a grin and walks away. I shrugged, again relieved that he thought I was a cop. I continued surveying the scene, waiting for the person I was there to meet, an activist and musician named Ronald B. Stinger Savage. A 54-year-old father of three, Savage was the first former crate boy for Africa Bambata to come forward and accuse the hip-hop godfather of molestation. Savage first told his story in 2016 to New York radio DJ Star, and in this interview with the New York Daily News, in which he says Bambata sexually abused him repeatedly beginning when he was just 14. My name is Ronald Savage. When I was younger, I was molested by Africa Bambata. Africa Bambata is the founding father of hip-hop. He's the co-founder of the Universal Zulu Nation. He's done tons of records, uh, like Planet Rock. I met them when I was around 14. When I was in the ninth grade, I was cut in one day. I had called Africa Bambata because I didn't have nowhere to go. So I went up to, um, to his house. Um, he paid the cab. I was in the living room, another gentleman was there, and it looked like they was DJing. Bam told me that I could go into um, his bedroom because the TV was on. So I went to the bedroom, and I was in the bedroom no more than three, four minutes. And um, Bam took out his penis, and um, he started jerking it. 
and he told me um, that for me to take mines out. The stories from Savage and soon others are disturbing. While serial predators like R. Kelly, Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, and so many others have been taken down by the Me Too movement, Bambada has managed to evade accountability, despite a growing number of alleged victims telling their stories. These are strong black men who live in a testosterone-fueled world where homophobia is rampant, showing emotion is construed as weakness, and sexual abuse is often kept secret forever. What drew me to this case, and continues to haunt me, is the fact that there's been no justice for these men. It's hard to believe that the outcome wouldn't have been very different if the accusers were white women. In the mid-1970s, the South Bronx was the epitome of urban decay. Middle-class whites fled the Bronx, murder rates tripled, and arsons destroyed entire neighborhoods. President Carter visited in 1977 and called the situation sobering. While a few years later, President Reagan compared it to London after the Blitz of World War II. From that morass of poverty and chaos grew a network of street gangs that ruled the neighborhoods with names like the Black Spades, the Savage Nomads, the Seven Immortals, and the Savage Skulls. The gangs provided protection for locals, but also gave hopeless young men a purpose, a sense of belonging, and more importantly, an income through drugs, prostitution, theft, and other rackets. One of the Black Spades warlords was a burly young man named Lance Taylor. His family hailed from Jamaica and Barbados, but his mother was raised in New York and was an activist and an avid record collector. The Bronx River Projects was a dangerous place in the mid-1970s, but it was also a very close-knit community filled with love and creativity, despite the gangs. Bimbada, along with pioneering DJs Cool Herc and Grandmaster Flash, started throwing parties in the project's community center. Inspired by funk, soul, and the emerging sounds of disco, they set up their speakers and turntables and used them to mix records by James Brown, Sly and the Family Stone, the Jimmy Castor Bunch, and even rock records. They created breakbeats and soon, breakdancers filled the park, experimenting with wild new dance moves inspired by this new boom bap sound. Microphones were plugged into the rudimentary sound system and MCs joined the party, weaving clever street tales and layering tongue-twisting wordplay over the DJ's recycled beats. Hip-hop was born. Hip-hop. Hip-hop till you drop. It was a turbulent time. In 1975, one of Bambada's best friends was shot and killed by police in the Bronx. It inspired him to look beyond the Black Spades and find a new, more positive force. He won an essay contest and a free trip to Africa that changed his life. Inspired by the trip, as well as the 1964 war film Zulu and the Black Power Movement of the era, he created the Universal Zulu Nation a community organization focused on promoting this new hip-hop sound while also providing an alternative to the gang life. The Zulu Nation was a spiritual movement led by Bambada that was designed to save young men from the streets and lift up the community through arts, public service, self-improvement, education, and equality, as Bambada explains in this 2014 interview. 
This was a time coming out of the, the 60s when you had all your civil rights, the human rights, all your black power, white power movements. You had your flower power movement like Woodstock. This is a time when you had many bands who would come in your neighborhood and would do um, remakes of some of the, the songs that was being played on the radio before the DJs got popular. This was a time when you had drugs in your community, gang violence. Uh, this is a time when you had hardworking people who was trying to live day by day. This is the time of soul music. Many of the early Zulus were ex-gangsters and felons who threw hip-hop block parties and promoted and managed concerts for the genre's earliest artists, especially Bambata and his group, the Soul Sonic Force. In the Bronx River Projects, young men who wanted to be part of the growing movement were recruited to be crate boys. They were stagehands who carried Bambata's records, set up and broke down equipment for shows, handed out flyers, and worked as gophers for Zulu leaders. In 1982, Bambata's musical vision exploded into the global consciousness with his breakthrough hit Planet Rock, a futuristic electro-rap track that rocketed to the top of the Billboard charts. It was an unlikely smash that opened the eyes of the world to this new style of music called hip-hop, as well as breakdancing. The song's success turned Bambata and the Zulu Nation into a lucrative business enterprise as he and Soul Sonic Force toured the world. The Zulu Nation created a security arm that started handling other artists, which created more revenue and additional jobs for members. The Zulu Nation provided opportunity and a way out of the cycle of poverty for young men living in the Bronx River projects. Young men like Ron Savage and Hassan Poppy Campbell. Campbell grew up in a broken home and is about 10 years younger than Ron Savage. Like Savage, he was drawn to the b-boy culture in his neighborhood when he was a young boy. In 2016, Campbell told me that he looked at Bambata as a father figure, as he sought ways to escape violence at home and in the projects. Bambata took him under his wing, brought him to shows, and made him feel like he belonged to something bigger. But also like Savage, Campbell says, their friendship quickly devolved into a very dark place. Bambata showed him pornography. Campbell was just 13. Soon, the relationship turned physical, and Campbell says he was repeatedly molested while other members of the Zulu Nation did nothing to stop it. This wasn't no one-time thing, he told me. This was an ongoing thing for several years. Campbell was embarrassed, confused, and angry. He didn't tell anyone out of fear of being called a homosexual, as well as retribution from the Zulu Nation and Bambata himself. His anger led him to a life of violent crime. He was involved in several shootings and other crimes and served more than three years in prison. He said Bambada put money in his prison canteen while he was in jail and took him clothes shopping when he was released. Bam was like your uncle who paid your way through college but molested you, he told me. Hearing the stories from Savage and Campbell and soon more alleged victims, there were several things that were consistent. They all said the molestation started with Bambada showing them pornography. They all said he assured them they weren't gay for going along with him. They all said that they were afraid to report the molestation. And they all said that other people, including members of the Zulu Nation, were aware of the abuse. Dave and I covered the Catholic Church scandal in the early 2000s in Boston. 
The stories of these men alleging that they were groomed for sex while underage, as well as their descriptions of the code of silence surrounding the Zulu nation sounded eerily similar to the church scandal. Hassan Campbell, in a 2016 video, graphically described the abuse and called out members of the Zulu nation who he said protected Bambata. We have to warn some listeners that the language here is graphic, vulgar, and disturbing. Bottom line to it is, y'all protect him. Amber, Ahmed, Tafik, all y'all niggas protect that nigga. Y'all know what the fuck he is. Y'all know what he is. You invite people to Zulu Nation, you know what they say? We ain't fucking with the boy lovers. And it's sad because you got a lot of great soldiers, a lot of motherfuckers that lost their life behind the Zulu Nation. Lost their life. Y'all say it ain't no room for homosexuality and hip-hop? How the fuck do you say that? The founder, the creator of hip-hop, Africa Bambada. Not only is he a faggot, but he fucked little boys. After Savage and Campbell came forward, others followed. Hip-hop radio host Star, an outspoken and provocative figure who got his start writing a scathing column for the Source magazine in the 1980s, had several of the men on his show in addition to rappers and members of the Zulu Nation who left the group upon learning of the allegations against Bambata. The scandal rocked the hip-hop world, as everyone from Chuck D to KRS-One weighed in. At least five men came forward with similar allegations. But there was no police investigation because the statute of limitations had long since expired. The Me Too movement was just beginning. Dozens of female abuse victims were now going forward with their accounts of predators. Some of the cases became criminal, while many female victims turned to the civil courts for justice. Powerful men were now being held accountable. But this did not happen in the Bambata case. Despite the intense media coverage the case had received, Savage, Campbell, and the others declined to file lawsuits. There was no justice in sight. After the first stories broke, Bimbata did a single interview with a New York City TV station where he denied the accusations. In our exclusive interview, Africa Bambata emphatically maintained he is not a sexual abuser. Do you feel now you are among that group of people falsely accused? Oh, most definitely. I mean, there's always been things in our community where you falsely accuse people or people that sit in the prisons, um, you know, political prisoners and, and, and groups like that, um, that they wait to 10, 15, 20, even 30 or 40 years before they find out that this person was um, railroaded. But Ronald Savage believes there are more victims out there and that the statute of limitations should be eliminated. No one can tell anyone when they're ready to let stuff out and especially if you haven't went through what i went through and other people went through it's like how dare you after that interview bambara became a ghost he surfaced for gigs in other countries from time to time but he mostly went underground there were efforts to extend the statute of limitations in the cases but those failed the zulu nation initially denied the allegations but after more victims came forward, the organization removed Bambata as its leader and issued an apology. Quote, 
we extend our deepest and most sincere apologies to the many people who have been hurt by the actions of Africa Bambata and the subsequent poor response from our organization to allegations leveled against him, the statement read. It was signed by more than 30 members of the Zulu Nation, including leaders of chapters across the world. Back at Poor Richards Park in East Harlem, I met Ron Savage. He wore a fuchsia polo, gray jeans, gray Nikes, and seemed at ease, despite being surrounded by members of the Zulu Nation who were all well aware that he had just accused their leader of one of the worst crimes imaginable, not to mention the black spades that were also nearby. I was there not only to meet with Savage, but to try and find Bambada. I had emailed the Zulu Nation, talked to leaders by phone, text, and email, spoke to managers and publicists who had worked for Bambada, and called every phone number I could find to try and track him down. He had vanished. I was told he sometimes dropped by these Thursday block parties in Poor Richard's Park, but he never showed up that day. Savage, meanwhile, told me he'd been threatened by members of the Zulu Nation, including a man named Mickey Benson, a hip-hop executive who managed rapper Ice-T. During my investigation of this case for Vice, I obtained this exclusive recording of a phone call between Savage and Benson, one of the founding members of Zulu Nation, which took place shortly after Savage went public with the allegations. Sam is 60 years old, man. Y'all are tearing us apart with the bullshit, man. If this was something that was on your mind, this shit should have been out 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Destroy a brand. You don't destroy a brand, dog. You are trying to destroy a brand. And do you think, right mind, that everyone is going to call BC and say, yo, man, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do this. It ain't good, B. It ain't good, bro. It ain't good. It ain't good, man. That's all I'm going to say, bro, and it ain't cool. Benson berated and intimidated Savage in the 22-minute call, repeating over and over that the accusations were destroying the Zulu Nation's public image. He issued several veiled threats. And we would not expect that from you. Anybody else who's like, man, fuck that nigga. You tear that nigga head off, man. Stomp him the fuck out, B. For real, B. He'll be listening in action. Man. I'd soon learn just how intimidating Mickey Benson and other members of the Zulu Nation could be, as would others connected to the case, including one former Zulu who wound up executed in cold blood on an Atlanta street shortly after coming out against the organization. On the next Saints, Sinners, and Serial Killers... Bambata remains a shadowy figure while more allegations surface. Ron Beestinger Savage receives more threats. Dave is threatened by a top Zulu Nation official. And a Zulu Nation soldier is mysteriously murdered shortly after speaking out about the scandal. Despite the mounting evidence, the case is nearly closed forever until a last-minute court filing by a new victim gives hope to those seeking justice. Saints, Sinners, and Serial Killers is a joint production of Mudhouse Media and Fort Point Media. Produced and edited by Mike Joshua.
Studio space provided by WorkLocalMA.com. Original music by Chris Spagone. For more from the Mudhouse Media Podcast Network, visit MudhouseMedia.com. And for the latest on their podcasts and all of the writing and film projects of Casey Sherman and Dave Wedge, visit FortPointMedia.com.